Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community. And our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. They're all different. Every letter you get is, is different. Some will be really long personal letters describing someone's experience and then at the end we'll request a book or two. Um, some are two sentences and say, I like mysteries, thank you. People in prison request free books for their education and to help combat boredom behind bars. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. About 1.7 million Americans are incarcerated in state and federal prisons. Most inmates have low levels of literacy, and about two out of five prisoners lack a high school diploma. Many are from low-income backgrounds, earning on average about $19,000 a year before entering prison. That's 40% lower than people of similar ages who don't end up behind bars. So one way out of this cycle is to help inmates develop better reading skills associated with brighter job prospects and reduced likelihood of reoffending. Sometimes people just come and drop boxes of books off on the porch. Gina Shepard is a former nurse and longtime organizer at the Prisoners Literacy Project in Berkeley, California, which operates strictly with volunteers. They ship about 600 books a week at no charge to inmates who request them from prisons and jails throughout the United States. Most of the books are donated by individuals. And a lot of times those books we can't use at all because most prisons want books in good condition. And people will send, uh, leave books out here that should actually go to a recycling dump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, torn pages, written in. We can't send those kind of books. And then people, I get calls two or three a week from people who want to donate books. And, you know, I go through what kind of books we want and what can what we can use, and then they drop them off here. Sometimes volunteers come with bags of books. And I'm walking down the street, and now they have these little libraries, you know, these tiny little libraries in front of houses. I always look through there and get one or two books that we can use. I go to the El Cerrito Recycling Center every week, and I, I get 30 to 40 books there. Inmates are prohibited from receiving books shipped by individuals. Prison officials cite security concerns of hidden messages or even dangerous objects concealed in books. Internet access is also greatly restricted. So generally, only approved booksellers and organizations, like the Prisoner's Literature Project, are authorized to send books. And in most cases, the final decision on what may come into a prison rests with guards or people in the mailroom. 
there are some prisons that will only accept new books. Those are a lot from Washington State, believe it or not. Um, there are some prisons that will not accept hardcovers. There's a lot of prisons that won't accept hardcovers. Most prisons will not accept any writing inside the book. Um, some prisons, you know, they have these bizarre things like they don't want any chemistry books because they think people are going to build bombs. Um, you know, a lot of prisons will not accept anything erotic. Sometimes we even have to tear out the pages of art books if there's nudes in them. We get those back. If, if we send an art book to some prisons, they send them back to us. Are you aware that they are specifically going through every single book before they'll admit it to the prison? Well, it really depends on the guard. You know, like there's some prisons that we, what, the information that we have, are they'll only accept new books. But sometimes newish books get through. So it really depends. You know, like what is a newish book? That's, that's a subjective decision. So the guard can look at the book and think, oh, this isn't newish enough, and just not accept it. The population of prisoners varies, and some have above-average reading skills, but most don't. And in general, says Gina Shepard, inmates are likeliest to relate to certain kinds of books, reflecting their own experiences, often in inner cities. I wouldn't, I'll never send out Proust to anybody. I mean, I'm a college, I have a graduate degree. I can't read Proust. You know, I mean, I'm not going to send Proust to somebody in prison. This is no specific hang-up about yeah. Marcel Proust. No. <laughs> no, I'm just giving an example like, you know, all those old uh, English Victorian writers or 16th century writers, I'm not going to send those. They're not going to read those. So you would consider those kind of unsuitable for that population? I would. I would. We have some of those books, and some people send them out, but I personally will not send them out. Prisoner's Literature Project was founded in the 1980s by grassroots activists working in a San Francisco bookstore. The entire operation is staffed by volunteers who range from young professionals to retirees, librarians, citizens who advocate for the rights of prisoners and others. Steffi Ostrowski from Pittsburgh came to the Bay Area a couple of years ago and took a job at Facebook. She's donated a lot of time to the Literature Project. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into this, such as actually taking the packages to the post office and getting stamps and receiving the letters and things. And that work is done a lot by uh, volunteers who have been around for a while. The actual answering of individual letters. Um, we have two kind of large volunteer days a week. It's really up to the individual volunteers' discretion what books they're going to give. Um, we do kind of a brief orientation for every volunteer that comes in and then, you know, really stressing that these are real people receiving your letters. Read carefully the letters they sent. Uh, think hard about what this person actually wants. We're not here to impose our own judgments or uh, our beliefs for what these people should be reading. If someone is like, I really like mysteries, I'm going to send them mysteries, you know? Um, it's, not, it's not up to me to say, well, I think they should, you know, be reading something else. So in a case like that, typically do the people in prison who write 
to the Prisoner's Literature Project specify what it is that they would like to be reading? Yeah, and we actually, if someone ever writes us a letter where they just say, I want books, we'll write back and say, please tell us what kind of books you want. We really want to make sure if we're going to spend money on postage for someone, we want to make sure they're getting something that they want to read. And so uh, we probably don't have a specific novel that they requested, but if they give us the general general genre of what they're interested in, we can track something down for them. Um, so the requests are very varied. We get, um, you know, a lot of requests for uh, dictionaries. I would say that's like the biggest thing people ask for. What kind of dictionaries? Normal paper Webster's dictionary. Um, they just want to have a way to look up words. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think part of this is probably... Uh, in the autobiography of Malcolm X, he talks about one of his main uh, ways that he started learning things in prison was by reading the dictionary. And so I imagine that anyone who has read that is going to want a dictionary to read. But also in general, that kind of makes sense, right? You. Um, I wonder if Mal- Malcolm X's book circulates in prisons, if they allow it to circulate. We send it all the time. I see. You know, you don't have a way to... Google a word you don't know. That's a, a great resource. So um, after dictionaries, um, a lot of more nonfiction, like how to draw books, uh, how to um, sometimes like gardening books. You know, there's people that, you know, want like classics. There's people that yeah, want mysteries, sci-fi, fantasy, autobiographies. Alex Marsh, originally from Sacramento, is a freelance artist and graphic designer in San Francisco. We get, we've been getting a lot of requests for graphic novels, like it's just, you know, up to the person. I mean, you know, them being prisoners doesn't make them all uniform. (laughs) They're all unique snowflakes. We get a lot of requests for urban novels. They're they're mostly African-American and they talk about things in the hood. And, like, we get requests for books and on And do you pimping. choose to we fill those requests? In fact, I don't even know if there are any books on pimping, you know. I hope not. But um, So we, do, we don't have a whole lot of urban novels. We send out a lot of Walter Mosley. Do you know who he is? He talks a lot about the neighborhood. You know, and, and he's a quality writer, so we often have him. But there are a lot of other... Interesting that you get requests for Walter Mosley. No, we don't get requests for them. We send them out. Oh, I see. Like if they ask for urban fiction, we will send out um, Walter Mosley. We do get a lot of requests for Iceberg Slim. Do you know who he is? He wrote books kind of like about the hood. I think he was an ex-prisoner himself. So um, we do get requests for them. We, We very rarely have those books. For many inmates, books offer a welcome mental escape from the social isolation, the depressing loss of freedom, and just the utter tedium of life behind bars. They also offer a means of self-improvement, especially in an era of reduced educational resources in prisons. Prisoners have to check the box. Do you know what that is? Check the box. It means when they're applying for a job, they have to say whether they're a felon. So it's really unfair because nobody's going to hire them. So these people 
are like desperately thinking of what they can do when they come out. Because if they don't have a job, they're going to be right back. And in fact, some people can't even get paroled without the promise of a job. So they're desperately looking for stuff they can do on their own, like gardening, like uh, any kind of entrepreneurial enterprise. We even get requests for beekeeping, sheep herding. I mean, you know, a lot for Wall Street stuff, you know, um, investing, which I think is absurd. They're not going to make money investing, but they're, you know, they need some hope that they can do something when they can come out. What you're saying is that there seems to be uh, a focus on vocational skills uh, through their reading, which strikes me as a pretty positive thing. Mm -hmm. There's basically two kinds of requests we get. One is for how to learn something so they can get a job when they come out. The other is how to pass the time there. And like we didn't used to send out mysteries and thrillers, and now we do. And you know, I have, I'm of mixed minds about that. I think. If I was in jail, I would want anything that I could have to help me pass the time because it's really terrible. On the other hand, I hope that they will be using their time to learn something, and very many of them do. Talking with volunteers at the Prisoners Literature Project, based in Berkeley, California, they ship tens of thousands of free books each year to inmates around the United States. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, Books to Prisoners, and to obtain or download an audio copy, please visit humanmedia.org. Let's discuss the prisoners who ultimately receive these books that you're shipping out. Where are they? How many of them are there, and and who are they? Well, there's thousands of them. I mean, I I don't know how many letters we get a month. I've never counted them, but I'm sure more than a thousand. Gina Shepard. Since I've been here, most of the time we've been four months or more behind. Just such a backlog because so much pours in. Because they don't have other alternatives. I mean, most of the prison libraries, since, especially since the um, economic crisis, are either closed. Uh, they have very few books. The books they have are junky, missing pages, all that sort of stuff. Individuals cannot send books. So they're, they're stuck. You know, if they don't have a family member who can afford to send books through, like, Amazon or Bar- Barnes & Nobles, what are they going to do? The letters arriving from inmates provide a window into a grim world that's not visible to most Americans, a place where your personal safety may depend on being hyper-vigilant and on not getting too close to others. Some inmates make a human connection by writing to the Berkeley volunteers who gather to pack up books. Steffi Ostrowski. We accept letters from um, 
prisoners all over the country. Um, we actually, we currently don't handle Texas because that's such an enormous load. There are a few designated books to prisoners programs in Texas that we will pass letters along to. But other than that, we'll receive any letter uh, from across the country. And how, as far as how people hear about us, I think it's largely word of mouth. Um, we find that the more letters we respond to, the more requests we receive. So I think once one prisoner realizes, hey, this organization actually exists and is working, they'll tell their friends and more people will write to us. So you say some of the letters are kind of detailed descriptions of their lives, which must be fascinating, maybe poignant, maybe sad at yeah, times. Yeah, it's intense. Um, I think that one of my favorite things about this organization is how, you know, we get a lot of volunteers who come because they have community service hours they have to fulfill for a high school or college club they're in or something, and then don't know anything about prison reform or prison issues. After sitting here for three hours and reading letters from individual people, uh, you can't help but kind of realize that there's a problem. When you're receiving a letter from someone who's saying, I'm serving a 35-year sentence, please send me a rhyming dictionary to help me improve my poetry. I mean, you're, something kind of clicks. What clicks for you? The, the humanity of these people and the absurdity of the situation. I mean, like, it makes no sense to put someone in a box for 30 years and not with no hope of any sort of rehabilitation. I think that's what drives the vast majority of us who are here is the fact that these, these are people that are not being treated like people. Um, and you see that with volunteers that come in. There's tends to be... Um, kind of a moment when it clicks for other people. I don't know, sometimes I'll be here kind of coaching an, a new volunteer on how the process works and we'll go through a letter together. And maybe the first time they read a letter that says like, hey, I'm in prison for 15 years, they'll go, oh, wow, I wonder what they did. Because that's like how we're trained to think of these people as nothing more than this one act that may or may not have happened. But, you know, three hours later, they're talking about how sad it is that this person couldn't receive the books that they needed. We get a lot of things like this. I won't read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but... Um, I was provided with your address along with a few others as a possible way to get books and or reading material. Although this is a rather large institution, we do not have a library like mo much state prisons. Therefore, our reading material is extremely limited. I read pretty much anything I can get my hands on. I am unable to pick and choose by subject or preference due to dwindling supply that's available. If I was able to choose a favorite subject, it would probably be action-adventure for me, but I'll read anything. I think reading is the greatest gift available for prisoners, with one exception, freedom. Freedom is the only gift better than reading, and it's going to be a long time before I can obtain my freedom. So I'm doing what is in my power to pursue my reading. Reading is a prisoner's only mean of escape, and when my mind is engrossed in a book, I am far away from this place and at peace with the world and myself. I'm writing with hopes that you can send me some books or reading material. Anything you send will be cherished and greatly appreciated. So this is from uh, Spruce Pine, North Carolina. 
Eric Lindgard studies at the University of California, Berkeley, which operates a higher education project he volunteers for at San Quentin State Prison north of San Francisco. Dear PLP, I hope it's not inappropriate for me to be writing you guys, but I really, I really, really wanted to send my thanks and let you know how much I truly appreciated the books y'all sent. That was an incredibly kind thing to do, and your choice in books was great. Without you, I never would have discovered The Bean Trees by Barbara Kingsolver. That was the best book I've read in a very, very long time. And so you know, I shared the books you sent with every per person I know, so they were well-received and they're still making the rounds. The kindness you guys have shown has truly meant a great deal to me. In a world with so much ugliness in it, it takes the small kindness of ordinary people to shine a light through the darkness. Once again, thank you very much. Sincerely, Josh. That's moving. Yeah. This is from Angola, Louisiana. Hello again. As you may know, the books you sent were sent back to you. I apologize for wasting your time and your efforts trying to help me. It seems that Angola has applied some new rules and their mailing system and the Prison Literature Project is not an approved vendor. I'm so sorry for I looked forward to reading from this project again. I do not know if there is a future in our friendship, but I must say thank you for acknowledging my existence and answering my request. If you choose to write a personal letter, I would like that. If not, I hope your days are filled with joy and laughter, and may all of your dreams one day come true. Sincerely, your friend, David Lance Wilson. So you read that from somebody who's sitting in a box in a prison. How does it make you feel? Life in general for these people is extremely difficult. Like they're, they're just essentially isolated from, you know, any kind of emotional attachment to anyone for the most part. Um, and so they're, they're really looking for a way, I think, to connect with people, I guess. And so even the smallest gesture or, or response to a letter like that, uh, I think, means a lot to them. Well, to me, it just uh, reaffirms that this is something worth doing. Um, prisoners are incredibly dehumanized. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it's regardless of how you feel about the prison system or, you know, uh, crime or they're still human beings. Pretty much everyone who volunteers here uh, shares the belief that um, access to literature, to knowledge is, you know, just a right of being a person. It's not a, a privilege um, to be, you know, given or taken away. Um, I had one recently where someone had, uh, they were asking, you know, for books on learning Spanish, and they wrote me a thank you note with a long paragraph written in Spanish and, uh, you know, just the, the concrete real example of uh, the difference that's being made in these people's lives. Prisons are often overcrowded, sometimes drastically. The inmate population here at San Quentin, where a number of the Literature Project participants volunteer, exceeds its capacity by more than a thousand prisoners. They may be crammed into cells that are no larger than a bathroom. Gina Shepard. This is no way to treat a human being. Most of them were really young when they committed the crimes, if they even committed the crimes, because there are a lot of innocent people in jail. 
you know, they're 19, 20, and a lot of them were drug-related, and the sentences are huge. It's absurd that the long sentences these people have. They go in as a young person, they come out, if they come out, you know, when they're old. I've seen people at San Quentin in wheelchairs wearing oxygen. You know, it's pathetic, these old people. Public safety advocates maintain that many criminals are simply bad actors who, for whatever reasons of their personal history, have become entrenched in antisocial behavior and must be segregated from the broader society. I also feel that there are certain people that I don't want out on the streets. I don't want Charlie Manson out on the street. You know, it's not like I think everybody in prison is a saint. I don't feel that way. However, I do believe in forgiveness. I do believe people can change. I do believe that if you put a teenager in prison, that person's brain isn't even formed. And so, you know, to put them in jail for life, that is absurd. Now, most people who are incarcerated, in fact, are released. Mm -hmm. And if they're going to get out, what you're doing strikes me as a particularly useful intervention to help them both in terms of a skill that they'll need as they try to reintegrate into society, namely literacy, perhaps specific vocational skills they learn in the books, and more so, perhaps, the human contact that somebody cares about them, which we all know can be huge in lifting anybody who's in distress up. Take two prisoners, one who has had a little bit of human kindness and another prisoner who's been just treated like a dog, you know, they get out. How do you think those people are gonna react? The person who, who has been treated well may try to change his life or her life. The person who's been treated like a dog is gonna come out with anger and just gonna wanna hurt, and we see that. We see people doing that, not just from prison, but from the military, just striking out. So I think, I totally agree, I think human kindness can do and make an amazing change. Eric Lindgard. I grew up in Michigan in a relatively small town, and I kind of grew up, you know, looking around at, at cities like Flint or Detroit uh, or Saginaw, um, where there's just this incredible income disparity. You realize that there's just this endemic cycle of poverty and, and, and violence and, and so on and so forth. Um, and so it's all kind of linked together in a way. And I guess uh, what keeps me coming back is the idea that um, if I can do something to, even if very small, to kind of help put a stop to that and just make society a little bit better in some way uh, than, you know, I have, I've had a lot of opportunities in life and I should probably try to do that, you know. So you feel it's kind of a form of giving back? Yeah, I guess so. I, I think, I don't think that it's fair that, that I've had by most standards across the world, like a very easy and comfortable life and that somebody down the street from me has had an experience that's just like the exact opposite of that. Like I talk to people in San Quentin, you know, every week who say like when I was nine years old, um, I'd wake up, I'd wake up every day and I'd be hungry and like my clothes would smell like urine and I, I just didn't understand why I didn't have anything to eat and why I didn't have any clean clothes. And I, I just can't kind of wrap my head around why it is that 
you know, when I was nine years old, I had everything I could have wanted and like somebody like that, you know, who, who lives in a place like as, as wealthy as the United States uh, can't have that. Eric Lindgard and fellow volunteers of the Prisoner's Literature Project in Berkeley, California. Studio recording by Doug Sugar. It's editorial assistance from Ken Rogers, David Cruz, Kathy Graham, Mark Kilstein, and Bond Collard. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you. This segment, Books to Prisoners, is Humankind Program number 247. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org.